0: Let us pray before we come to this passage. Father, as we open up this passage, which raises many questions and which will likely challenge us, like you did for Abraham, would you use your words to increase our faith in you? We recognize this passage is tricky, so would you teach us by your spirit? Would you keep me from error as I preach? And would you open our blind eyes to see your glory? Thank you that while we could not save ourselves, you alone can rescue. And it's in the Savior's name that we pray. Amen. Thursday the 18th of August was really significant for many people. And Thursday the 25th of August was significant for even more people. I would say that these people probably didn't get a lot of sleep the night before and they probably woke up with a faster heart rate than usual. Because the past two Thursdays, students have been getting GCSE and A-level results. And every year, these results days remind me of how terrifying I find exams. They are easily the most stressful part of my year, and unfortunately, they seem to follow me just about every year. I'm sure many of you can relate to that feeling when you hear the word test. Or exam it carries this sense of dread doesn't it we knew that it's going to be scary we knew that it's going to be difficult and I think when it comes to how difficult or how scary a test might be a test set by God is pretty ultimate isn't it and this is what Abraham is faced with here have a look with me at verse 1 of our text it says sometime later God tested Abraham Abraham's faith is on trial here, and at the heart of the passage, God is asking, do you trust me? There is a huge ask ahead of him. And before we get into the specifics of the test, I want us to remind ourselves of the one who is being tested. So back in Genesis 12, God showed up to Abraham, and he gave him a promise that he would make him into a great nation And then later on in Genesis 17, God says that this promise would be fulfilled through a son, Isaac, born to his barren wife, Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, they laugh at the idea, and to which God responds, is anything too hard for the Lord? And surely enough then, in Genesis 21, just in the last chapter, Isaac is born. Abraham is aged 100, and Sarah is a spring chicken at just 90 years old. Finally, after decades of waiting for this son, he arrives. The son arrives through whom God said that he would fulfill his promises. Through Isaac will Abraham's descendants be as numerous as the stars, and through Isaac would they be a blessing to the nations. God has made promises to be fulfilled through this son. And so when we read verses one and two of our passage, they are shocking, aren't they? Isaac has no offspring yet, and so the promise is very much at stake. Abraham's faith is tested. His faith is tested. Have a look with me then at verses 1, of our, verses one and 2 of our text. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied, And then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. If we were to read verse 2 without the context of verse 1, we might very well question God's goodness here, wouldn't we? But we need to remind ourselves that this is the same God who says that human sacrifice is an abomination. He says that in Deuteronomy 12 and 18. And so thankfully we can wipe the sweat off our brow and see that this is a test and it's not a temptation. He's testing Abraham. And what this test is doing is it's basically God asking, what will you stake on my word being true? What would you gamble, if you will, on my promises being upheld? Will you withhold your son or do you trust me to fulfill my promises? And see, so Abraham doesn't have the insight that we have here that this is a test. All Abraham hears is the command to sacrifice your son. And so Abraham's left with this apparent contradiction then between God's promise and his command. Because on one hand, God's promise of blessing, it relies on Isaac having children. It relies on him staying alive until he has children. And then on the other hand, God has commanded for him to kill Isaac. It's like if I took out £20 in my pocket and I said, you know what, I am going to give you this £20 to go and buy yourself something nice, maybe buy one of those books in the bookstall. You have my word, it's yours to go and buy something with it. But it's only yours if you burn the note first. Do you see the contradiction there? See, sacrifice Isaac and the promise is dead along with the child. This is a test of the highest difficulty and of the highest stakes. Testing in the Bible is usually for two reasons which should be on the screen. It's to reveal and to refine. See, testing, it reveals any idols which we might have lurking in the shadows of our lives. And that might look like going through some really tough spells maybe in our relationships. And that might reveal that actually we have idolized maybe our spouse or our friends or our family that they've maybe taken the space that only Jesus should be in. These are good things in and of themselves, but we're really good at making good things God things. Maybe our employment situation gets a bit shaky to reveal that actually we've made our job our God. Or it's our finances taking a turn to show where we've really been placing our trust. Or to show us that maybe we've been working for someone other than God. Testing reveals. And what grace he is showing us in revealing that to us as well. But testing also refines. Imagine where your faith would be today if you had never gone through any testing. You wouldn't trust much, would you? If I was a gold ring, and I know that's a silly thing to say, but if I were a gold ring, I probably wouldn't really want to go through the fire. But I'd be more ready to meet my owner at the end of it, wouldn't I? I would be refined by the test. And in James chapter two, he mentions Abraham as an example of someone refined by the actions of his faith. It says his actions here in our passage, Genesis 22, they made his faith complete. He could look back and see that God has refined his faith over the years through these trials. Testing, it reveals and it refines. I wonder as you sit here, and try to think through the testing that you've experienced the past while, or maybe even the testing that you're experiencing right now. I wonder, can you see God's hand peeling back the curtain to show you some idolatry, that maybe you have put someone in the place only Jesus deserves to sit, or that you've been trusting in your own strength, in your own merit, in your own resources, and maybe you've lost sight of the great giver and of the author and perfecter of our faith. I wonder, can you see him reveal any idolatry through the tests? Or maybe you can look back and see how he's used those really difficult times to refine and strengthen your faith, where maybe it took the most awful circumstances for you to realize why the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. Where maybe it took a thorn in your flesh to see that there's only one person that we can trust in for righteousness or a death to remind you of your hope beyond the grave, an illness or a shortcoming to deepen your awareness of human weakness and to deepen your trust in God's power. He is working all things together for the good of those who love him. I wonder, can you see ways in which God has refined your faith? And what's as shocking as the test in this passage is Abraham's response. Because what does Abraham do? He simply obeys, doesn't he? Have a look with me at verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. This is extraordinary faith, isn't it? His only son Isaac, whom he loves, is on the line. And somehow, Abraham is about to pass this test. How is that possible? How on earth does he get to that point of trusting God here? Well, our next point is that he trusts God because God is trustworthy, or God is faithful. God is faithful. He will provide. And I've broken this one down into a couple of points And I've alluded to the first one really already. See, Abraham trusts that God is trustworthy because he remembers God's character. We don't really see this so much in the text itself, but rather over these past 10 chapters that we've been going through. This test, it doesn't come at his first interaction with God, but it comes after years of waiting for this promised son, this promised son that just seemed impossible. And so when he sees the promise come to fruition, when he has this son, he learns something about his God, that he is faithful to his promises. And now in chapter 22, he can look back on that and he can remember God's character. And what he does next is really a bit of neuroscience at play. I'm really sorry, I couldn't resist myself to bring in a wee bit of biology. But this really is fascinating. Fascinating. So, in the 1950s, there was a man called Henry Molaison, and he had a chunk of his brain removed in, a, in an attempt to cure his epilepsy. However, the chunk that they removed was actually a part which is largely responsible for memory. And so what happened was he couldn't remember most of what had happened in the past. And the really fascinating bit is that then they, they, they then realised that he couldn't actually predict what might happen next day. He couldn't answer the simple question, what are you going to do tomorrow? See, we recall our memories each day of waking up, of getting showered, of getting breakfast and so on and so on, and that helps us then to predict what's likely to happen the next day. When we remember, we find a pattern for our present and for the future. When we remember, we find a pattern then for our present and the future we have been given 66 books worth of memories just pages upon pages of who god is what god has done so that we can look back and say isn't our god faithful to his word he's provided for us personally he's put food on our table include us when we didn't even ask he's always been with us always been faithful and so would we look back through his word and through our past experiences so that we can remember that God is faithful. And so then, with Abraham, we can use those memories as a pattern for God's character in our next situation. To say, if he's done it before, well then he can do it again. If he was faithful back then, won't he still be faithful today in this test? We can reason that God will be faithful in our next situation too. So Abraham in faith, he obeys God and he heads up the mountain and he heads up with the fire and the knife and he walks up with his son Isaac who carries his own wood and as they walk together, Abraham very much knowing what lies ahead, they walk up and Isaac turns to him and I think this bit, this next bit would have just broken me. Isaac turns to his father and he says, dad, I see the fire and the wood, but where's this lamb that you're going to kill? And remembering God's faithfulness, Abraham responds in verse 8. Look with me there. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. It's remarkable faith, isn't it? And we get a few more insights into Abraham's reasoning, how exactly he reasoned God would be faithful here. One of those is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, and it should be on the screen. Hopefully you can read it. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham, he had resolved that he would trust God because he's proven trustworthy. He believed the promise God had made him. And so we find out here that Abraham reasoned, if God upholding his promise doesn't look like my son being spared, then he'll just be resurrected. It's amazing, isn't it? And in fact, in verse five of our passage, it kind of indicates the same surety that he had. Have a look at it. Abraham says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. It's easy to miss that, isn't it? He says, we will come back to you. And I I want you to hold that thought for a second because we're in Genesis here, right? Yeah, we're in Genesis. So we're not anywhere near Jesus raising Lazarus. And Abraham isn't thinking about decorating eggs or wearing pastel colors. Easter is just not on his mind, sure it's not. Abraham has never seen or heard of a resurrection. So how does he reason that this is a possibility? Well, maybe it's just because he's seen God do impossible things in the past. But I think more likely it's because he remembers specifically what God has done for him in bringing life to the dead parts of his own body. I remember thinking, well, where are you getting that, Scott? Well, Romans 4.19 says about Abraham, it says, Without weakening in in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. You see what he does? He remembers God's character, and he reasons, therefore, that God will continue to be faithful to his promises. And then finally, what we see next is that he realizes that this isn't just head knowledge. This is reality. He realizes right before his eyes that God will provide. As Abraham binds his son Isaac onto the altar and raises the knife to slay his son, God intervenes. Some practical steps for this second point. In the midst of our faith being tested, in the midst of our faith being put on trial, would we take steps to remember God's character? And what I think that looks like is maybe picking up this book of memories we've been given about who God is, or simply recalling God's provision for us in the past so that we can then reason that God will be faithful to uphold his promises to us now. That he will provide, that his grace is sufficient, that Jesus is enough. And now I'm aware that faith being tested can result in us finding it really difficult actually to pick up our Bibles. So even turning up to church to hear some teaching or allowing friends to maybe come alongside you and to remind you of those truths is such a good step. In the midst of testing, would we remember that God is faithful? We can trust him because he is trustworthy. As Abraham sees this reality that God will provide, he learns a truth which is so foundational to our faith, that salvation is substitutionary. Salvation is substitutionary. If someone were to ask you, what is the purpose of the Bible? I wonder what you would say. I think most of us would probably say something along the lines of, it's a roadmap that God gives us, or it's God's instruction manual for us. Some kind of moral guidebook, essentially. But if that's primarily what the Bible is, then Genesis 22 raises some real problems, doesn't it? See, this story doesn't seem like a great moral example. And in fact, it's one that Richard Dawkins criticizes pretty harshly in his book, The God Delusion. But what I think Richard Dawkins misses, and what I think many of us miss about the Bible, is that this isn't so much an instruction manual, as it is a testimony to Jesus. Yes, it teaches morals in places. Yes, it teaches practical application in places. But all of it is this ever-pointing arrow saying, look at Jesus. And with that in mind, we suddenly read this passage and we think, whoa. Because it is just rich and beautiful in that category, isn't it? See, Isaac throughout this passage is described in relation to his father as the one whom he loves. Those are the same words which the father spoke over Jesus at his baptism. And Isaac is the long-awaited son born by miraculous means. He is the promised son who God will bring blessing to the nations through. He's the one who willingly submits to the father right up to the point of his looming sacrifice. He is a picture of Isaiah 53's Messiah, this silent lamb who is being led to the slaughter. Isaac is the man who carries the wood to his own sacrifice. And he's the one who is bound to that wood on a hill near Jerusalem. Do you see who Isaac is? He is a pointer to Jesus. And yet, unlike Jesus, Isaac is spared. Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. And a burnt offering is an atonement for sin. So when Isaac is spared here, something has got to take his place to atone for the sin. And do you remember Abraham's words in verse eight? What did he say? He said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And surely enough, what does God provide? Well, on this occasion, not a lamb, but a ram. Have a look at verses 11 to 14. It says, The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is substitutionary atonement. Sin needed to be paid for, and instead of the guilty paying the price, God provides a sacrifice in their place. Does that sound familiar to you? Another pointer to Jesus, maybe? But it maybe raises a question, why a ram? Why not the lamb which Abraham said God would provide? Well, I think it's because the lamb is yet to come at this stage. Have a look at verse 14 and look at the future tense which is mentioned there. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The lamb is yet to come. And in John chapter 1 verse 29, we see who that lamb is as Jesus approaches and John the Baptist proclaims, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the one who would die on our behalf on a hill near Jerusalem, the one who would come through Isaac's line and then be sacrificed in order to bless the world. He is the greater Isaac who was not spared. And he's not just the ram who could temporarily pay for sin, but he is the lamb yet to come who could take away the sin of the world. He is our savior who died in our place. How do we respond to this? Well, I think it's the same way Abraham did, in living faith. Look finally at verses 16 to 18. Verse 16, it says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. Faith is necessary to receive the promises of God. That is the end goal of any of this testing that our faith might be increased. But our faith doesn't lie in what we've done, but it lies in what our substitute Jesus has done for us. We here sinners add nothing to our salvation but the sin which necessitates it. We deserve to pay the penalty for that rebellion, for that sin. And yet our Savior came down to take that sin on himself so that our mere trusting in him would be enough to receive the promise of eternal life with him and to impute his righteousness to us. Praise God that our salvation is substitutionary. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that our faith is a tested one, that you might ever bring us to deeper trust, not in what we can do, but in what Jesus has done for us. We thank you that you are a God who is faithful to your promises, so that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved that whoever trusts in Jesus' life and death on their behalf will not perish but have eternal life. And we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you that we are not left to pay for our own sin, but that instead you provide us with a substitute to save us. Help us to respond to this passage rightly, to respond in faith in Jesus our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.